Hi everyone and welcome to this edition of the Verse by Verse podcast. My name is Joe Thompson and we are just starting out on the podcast. We only have a couple episodes uploaded. I think one was a test episode and the other was an introduction to the podcast, what we're all about, so on and so forth. Today what we're going to do uh, is we're going to continue teaching through the Bible and we are in the book of Mark and we're going to pick up in chapter number 10 and the reason we're going to do that is because the last I had a Facebook group called verse by verse in fact I do intend to keep putting this podcast on that group so I'm not disbanding that group uh, but we are our, our last video was in Mark chapter 9 on that group and so we're just going to pick right up here in Mark chapter 10. Uh, had I had considered maybe starting over with the book of Mark. I'm not sure I want to do that at this point. Uh, we are admittedly still learning how to do podcasting. Okay so if you'll just bear with us we would appreciate it. We would appreciate your prayers as well. But like I said before all we do here we just simply teach through the word and let the Word of God do the work in our hearts. So Mark chapter number 10, Jesus here is continuing his ministry and verse 1. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by, uh, by the farther side of Jordan. And the people, and I notice what happens there, and the people resorted unto him again. And as he, as he was wont, he... He taught them again. Over and over and over we see Jesus doing several things in the book of Mark. We see him uh, preaching, but more than preaching, we see him teaching the word, which is what I, I really like that aspect of it. What does Jesus do? He's the master teacher. He teaches the word. He also performs miracles. We're going to see that as well. We have seen it before in this book. We're going to see it again. Now, we have the Pharisees in verse 2 and uh, we have spoken, uh, for those of you on Verse by Verse on the Facebook group, we've talked about the Pharisees. They are a religious group, they are a very legalistic group, and they will hound Jesus throughout his entire ministry, and they'll try to trip him up. They don't succeed, of course, we know that. But we'll pick up in verse 2. And the Pharisees came to him uh, and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And then there's a tag on the end of that verse, Mark puts, tempting him. Okay, so they did not really want to know the answer to this question. They're trying to start an argument. Uh, I find today there are people that ask questions. And yes, there are those who genuinely want to know things. But for the most part, well, I, I probably shouldn't say for the most part, you can tell whether someone is asking a question because they genuinely want to know the answer or if they're trying to start an argument. Clearly Mark points out here the Pharisees, the religious leaders are trying very much to start an argument. And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? I like that response because what does he do? He points back to the Word of God. And you know we need to be doing that. When someone asks us a question uh, about life, about any subject in life. That ought to be our first response. Our first response ought to be, what does the Bible say? Okay, it doesn't matter what Joe Blow says. It doesn't matter what this denomination says. It doesn't matter what that denomination says. Look, 
Many of you belong to denominations. I grew up in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. Uh, I'm no longer in that. I'm a, a, a co-pastor of a non-denominational church. Uh, and I'm a little more free in that church, I guess you could say, to be a little more open about things than I would be, say, in a Independent Fundamental Baptist. Some of you who've been there uh, in that system know what I'm talking about, okay? It, it doesn't matter what the denomination says. What matters is like Jesus said, what does the Bible say, okay? Now, that's all they had at that time. When Jesus is teaching, they just had the Old Testament. So what does he do? He points them back to the Word of God. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Okay, so it does say that. There are occasions, there is a provision in the law, in the Old Testament law, for a divorce to take place. And Jesus answered and said unto them, now he gives the reason why Moses did this. He says, "For the hardness of, uh, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this uh, precept." But verse six, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Um, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and that goes all the way back to Genesis. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, when God created marriage. And, and by the way, man's trying to pervert that and mess it up. And there's a lot of adults that don't know what gender they are and they don't know what a marriage is. Uh, Jesus basically has just told you, read Mark 10 verses 6 and 7, and you will find that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. And if you don't know that, then, you know, Mark 10 verses 6 and 7 would be good verses for any judge in this country to read to educate them on what a marriage is. And uh, so Jesus here sets the record straight. Now, verse 8, And they twain shall be one flesh. That's how God views marriage. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, I need to hasten to add at this point, this is not the only teaching on divorce. Okay, I teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I do not do topical messages on this podcast regularly. Now, from time to time, I will. When I get to Mark 16, I'm going to read Mark 16. We're going to teach through it. Then I may have a couple of days where I need to say some things about uh, some things topically in Mark 16. But, you know, generally speaking, I just teach through the Bible. I say that because this is not the only teaching in the Bible on divorce, okay? What, and the reason I want to point that out is because we read this and, you know, there's the poor guy over here, the poor girl over here, you know, they, they got into a marriage, something happened, a divorce resulted, and, and they feel like they're condemned because of it. And I just want you to know something. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin, the way I like to approach this as a Bible teacher and as a pastor um, is to do it in a two-pronged way, okay? Number one, I've taught young people. I was a school teacher for 15 years. I taught in a Christian high school, all right? And I felt the need to stand up in teaching about marriage to tell young people and young adults. I've counseled young adults as well. I've been a pastor before as well, and they need to know that God's perfect will is that a man and a woman get married uh, 
and his perfect will is that they stay married. Okay, we do promote that. We, we do, you know, bring that out. On the other hand, what about the people in your church that, and you know, some of you pastors are listening in. What, what about people in my church that have tragically ended up in a divorce? Is there any hope for them? And I would say, yes, there is. We live in the age of grace. Thank God for that. And we need to help come alongside those persons, help heal their hearts. Um, you know, certainly there was sin involved. Obviously there was sin, someone's sin, because, uh, you know, human beings are sinful and we do things wrong. And many times it leads to a situation like this. Get forgiveness of sin. Get on with your life. Um, you know, I would certainly hope that perhaps some marriages could be put back together. Uh, I mean, there are times when it's just not possible to do that. You know, it takes two people to decide to do that, not just one, okay? So we approach it from two prongs, okay? And, and I'm not compromising when I do this, okay? Some may say that I am. I don't think I am because uh, there are hurting people out there that we as the church need to come alongside and help. You know, put some balm on the wound, if you will, okay? Then again, there are some young people that need to be taught. Listen, marriage is not a try-it-before-you-buy plan. You know, it's not a trade-in you know, deal. You've been here two or three, four years. You know, you just flippantly decide, yeah, I don't like this. I'm going to trade it in for a new one. We're not talking about cars here, okay? We're talking about human beings. We're talking about an ordinance that God created, okay? So we, we do want to... And, 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 and I would also add this as well. I have never, and those of you that have been listening to me for seven years on Verse by Verse on the Facebook group, you have never heard me ever say that a woman should stay with a man or a man with a woman. It works both ways. That abuses, you know, abusive situations. Especially when the children are involved, but certainly as well as just a spouse, okay? I don't think God intended for, well, people to abuse, obviously, but, you know, okay, so we're, we're talking about this. All right, now, verse 10. Uh, and in the house, his disciples ask him again of the same matter. They want to know some more about this, verse 11. And he saith unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now listen, this is not the only teaching on divorce, okay? Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. Uh, and if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now here again, this is not the only teaching on the subject of divorce. This is Mark's rendering of Jesus' comments on this. Verse 13. Now I find this fascinating. Here they are in the house, and they brought young children to him and... Um, that I say, uh, that I'm sorry, that he should touch them and his disciples rebuke those that brought them. And you know, it's amazing. We're coming up to the end of Jesus' ministry. They've seen this before. And yet, what are the disciples doing? The disciples are rebuking people for bringing their kids to Jesus. And I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they're thinking, oh, he's busy. Don't bother him. I don't know. But let's look at Jesus' attitude towards children. I think this is wonderful. But when Jesus saw it, saw what? Saw the rebuke. He was much displeased and said unto them, who's the them? The disciples. 
Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus loves for children to come to him. He wants children to come to him. Now, what does he mean by such is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, he says it in another place. If you don't uh, come to the kingdom as a child, simple childlike faith. I mean, you you know children. They're, they're trusting, you know. They are moldable, if you will. That's why it's so wrong. That's why Jesus rebuked people for not allowing children to come to him. He understands that they are pliable, they're moldable, their minds are moldable. He wants to be the, you know, the one to mold them. Um, a guy named Overholzer many, many, many years ago started uh, children's ministry over in England, I think it was. I forget the exact name of the organization. But, you know, he believed that children could come to Christ. And I'm glad he started that ministry. And I'm glad children do come to Christ. We live in a day and age here in 2023 when we need to, you know, give the gospel to our children as quickly as possible so they can get saved as young as possible. Because I'm going to tell you something, the devil's not going to wait around and say, well, let's see, I'm going to wait 15 or 20 years. No, he's starting from birth these days. He wants your children, folks. He wants to destroy your children. He doesn't want your children to get saved. He wants them to be lost for all of eternity. Why? Because the human race is the battleground. That's exactly what's going on here. Verily I say unto you, verse 15, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, there's that childlike faith, he shall not enter therein. Simple faith. Now what is he doing here? He hasn't yet died on the cross, much less resurrected, but he knows it's in the near future. What is he doing? He's laying the foundation for the church age, the age of grace. Grace through faith. Okay, we look back to the cross. All right. And he took them, the, you know, the children, up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. And I don't know how many children there were. There were several, I'm sure. And he took time individually with each child. I think that's wonderful. Uh, God takes individual time with each of us. Uh, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled. Now watch this. Kneeled to him and asked him. Notice the question here. Good master, what shall I do? Mark that word. Do that I may inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus is going to do something here I think is very interesting. He's simply going to answer the question that the man asked. All right? Now, he's not, listen to me, people have misunderstood this. He's not teaching work salvation here. What is he doing? He is, he is simply going to answer the man's question as he asked it. Okay? So, technically, what do I need to do if, if I could do something to inherit eternal life? What could I do? Well, okay, so what does Jesus do? Well, okay, he, he gives the answer. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. So first of all, he straightens him out on who he is. Okay? He wants to make the point, I'm God. 
Folks, Jesus is more than just a good teacher, okay? If your view of Jesus is that he's just a good teacher, you're not, okay, you're, you're, you're not there. You're not saved. He's more than just a good teacher. He's God of very gods. He's the Son of God and God the Son. You need to get that, okay? Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Interesting, these are commandments that are dealing with man to man, okay? Not man to God, but man to man. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. Okay, what is he doing? He's basically laying out the last six commandments of the ten, okay? And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Okay, so, all right, you've done all this. Why are you still concerned about your soul? Well, he obviously knows there's something missing. And you know what? There is something missing. Well, okay, now, what is Jesus going to do here? He's going to point out in this man's case, he's not teaching, I want to say it again, he's not teaching works. He's answering this man's question. And he's going to tell him the one thing that's keeping him from coming to Jesus Christ and trusting him as his personal Savior. Watch this. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And I think that's interesting. If you're lost, listen to this podcast. I want you to know Jesus loves you, just like he loved this young man here. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, people are going to read that and they're going to say, Oh, that's what you have to do to get saved. That is not what he's teaching here. He's pointing out the one thing, because we're going to see the man's reaction verse 22. Let's read that and then we'll come back to this, okay? And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions okay so what is he saying here he's saying that uh, in your case sir young man there's the one thing that's keeping you from being saved and that is your riches now and i would say to each one that's not saved right now whether you've heard the gospel one time on this podcast today or a million times there's something that's keeping you from being saved it may not be what this young man had you may not be rich, but it's there's something that you want to hang on to that is keeping you from coming to Christ. There's something in your life. Uh, it's a lifestyle, perhaps. It is a relationship. Maybe you're a young man. You, you're dating a young girl, and uh, and you know she doesn't want you to become a Christian and follow Christ. Maybe she's actually threatened you with you know all of that. Maybe you're married and your wife has threatened you. I had a man in the church I pastored years ago. He got saved. He was gloriously saved. And he started serving the Lord. He was helping me out. You know, I'm totally blind. I need a driver. And so, you know, he would drive me around anywhere I needed to go as pastor. He would make visits with me, help me in church, do the audio. I mean, whatever I needed him to do, he would do it. Well, his wife actually threatened to divorce him over Jesus Christ. Very tragic situation. That happens. But he stuck with Christ. I praise the Lord for that. They didn't get a divorce, thank God. But I mean, I'm just saying, she leveled that threat. That may be happening to you. Young lady, you may be, you know, dating a guy or maybe you're married, you know. And uh, he's making you all kinds of promises. 
Listen, stick with Christ, okay? He will always keep his word. Your boyfriend won't, I promise you, okay? Really, he won't. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of, of God? Now look what he says here. And the disciples were and the disciples were astonished at his words. I mean, they were like, wow, this is okay, unusual. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, uh, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Exclamation point. That's evidently what this young man was doing here because Jesus refers to it. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now he didn't say rich people couldn't get saved. He said it's just easier for you know, if you really want to get down to it, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Okay? It's hard because most, you know, generally speaking in the world Rich people, what do they do? They trust their riches, and so they don't need God. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we don't need God if we're, you know, we have a good job, got a good salary, got this, got that. Kids get sick, go to the doctor. We don't need to pray. We've got CVS Pharmacy. We've got Walmart Pharmacy. We don't need God. You know, why didn't God do any healing today? Well, you know, there's a reason for that. But, you know, God doesn't do things like that today. He can, but one of the reasons he does not is because we don't need God. We got Walmart Pharmacy. We got our doctors. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we forget God in the midst of everything that we have. We forget God. We don't even ask Him about our sicknesses. You know, it, it, it broke my heart during COVID. I didn't hear one national leader or state leader for that matter. Now, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, send me a video. But I did not hear one political leader during that time say, we as a nation need to pray about this COVID crisis. They had all other, you know, that a lot of other solutions other than seeking after their Lord. Verse 26, and they were astonished out of measure. The disciples just couldn't get it, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? And Jesus Looking up, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but with God and with God all things, all things are possible. Salvation is of the Lord, not man, folks. Uh, then Peter, bless his heart, he's going to open his mouth and say something now. And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have, we have left all and have followed thee. And he has. And Jesus, notice this, answered and said, Verily I say unto you, talking to Peter, there is no man. Okay, now that's no man. That's everybody. That's anybody. There is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now and at this time houses 
and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. If you sell out to God, he will bless you, but you're going to have persecution along with the blessings and in the world to come, eternal life. In other words, you sell out to God, you're going to be rewarded. That's what he's saying. Now, he's not suggesting that you forget your family responsibilities. He's not teaching that at all. He's not teaching that at all. He's not saying you should, Father, you know, if you're married and you have responsibilities, you know, he's not saying you should abandon your responsibilities. But in comparison, in comparison to him, your love for Christ ought to be superior to all of those things he mentioned. I mean, I struggle with that as a, a pastor and as a short-term missionary at times. I would do missions work, you know. I had to deal with those things, okay. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. God looks on things a little different. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they, um, and as they followed they were afraid, and he looked again. Now notice this. He took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Now remember, they're moving toward Jerusalem. We're moving into the last, literally, few days of Jesus' ministry. And he's saying to them once again, Guys, when we get to Jerusalem, it's not going to be like you think it is. What does he say in verse 33? Behold saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, uh-oh, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, that's the Roman government, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day... He shall rise again. Now, Jesus is putting it on the line. Guys, this is what's going to happen in the future. He's telling it like it is. See, they thought he was going to go up there, take the kingdom, and, you know, we're all going to rule with him. It's going to be all's going to be well. Uh, not quite. We've got a few bumps in the road to come. And. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's, but the good news is he's going to be raised from the dead. And of course he did rise from the dead. But they forgot that. They just heard the first part. In other passages we've talked about this before. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him. Now, Mark doesn't give all the details. See, this is what you have to do when you read the Gospels. When you read these accounts, you have to read all the Gospels to get all the information. Mark just gives us part of it, okay? Another Gospel says it was his, you know, their mother that came to Jesus. They used the mother card. You know, if we get mom on Jesus, then she can speak for us and, you know, twist God's arm. You know, mama can do it if nobody can, okay? Uh, unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? Blank check, right? Okay, well, let's find out here. Then uh, they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may, notice this, sit one on thy right hand 
and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. In other words, we want to be right there on the throne with you. One of us on your right, one of us on your left, and I dare say they'd probably be fighting over who sits on the right or left. We want to help you rule, that's what he's saying. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye, can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall, okay, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. Cup of suffering, I suffer, you're going to suffer. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, all shall ye be baptized. You know, I wonder, it's interesting, I wonder if he meant there, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, back in Mark 3, when he was baptized in water, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him, and I'm wondering if he's not suggesting here that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what he's referring to here. Yeah, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in the future. But he goes on here, But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Now notice the other ten disciples, they're hearing all of this. And a little bit of, you know, jealousy creeps in here. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased, which I can understand that, displeased with James and John. Wait a minute, who does he think, he, you know, who they think they are? What about the rest of us? You know, does God have pets? Well, no, God doesn't have pets. And he makes that very clear here. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know, not, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. In other words, in a normal setting, you have political rulers, you know, ruling people. And they're... And, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Jesus has a different view of ruling. You know, he talks in Revelation about us, the church, ruling and reigning with him. And yes, we're going to be doing that but it's not going to be in the sense of, okay, I'm ruling the world. Do what I say. You know, that's not the way. No. Uh, God has a different view. That's why he tells in the epistles, us in the church age today, you know, that we are to, in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, we are to, if we're bosses, if we have people under us, we are to treat them a certain way in a godly way, because we have a master in heaven, Colossians says. Life for the believer should be different, and I wonder how many of our Christian organizations operate that way. I fear not too many. You know, in many cases, you can't tell the difference in a Christian organization than a, a regular organization by the way they run things and the way people vibe for power and cut each other's throat. You just have to wonder sometimes. 
Maybe we need to spend some more time in the Word, you know, when we're creating our businesses. And whosoever uh, of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Uh, I worked in a school. I was a school teacher. And, you know, it's interesting. The principal, we had a principal. And, you know, she would, she would not ask her teachers to do something she wouldn't do. And there were many, many times she was out in the hallway cleaning up vomit where a kid got sick or cleaning up a spill or, you know, helping a student who had a need. Um, yeah, she would ask her teachers to do that, but she did it herself as well. I think that speaks a lot. It speaks volumes about her character as a principal and as a person, okay? Boss, you know, don't don't ask your employees to do something you wouldn't do yourself. If you've got a, a sanitation crew working at your plant or your office, okay, uh, you know, they're supposed to clean the garbage cans after work. Okay, but if you walk by and you see a garbage can running over, don't just walk by and say, well, that's their job to do it. No, do something about it. You know, the least you could do is at least take a bag out, put it in the dumpster and put a fresh bag in. When you see trash laying around, pick it up. Don't say, well, that's their job. They're coming after school. Pick it up. Okay, verse 45. And even the Son of Man, he he points to himself, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He sets the example. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, short trip, <laughs> with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, I love this story, the blind Bartimaeus, the son of, let me try to pronounce this, Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now, back in that day, blind people lived much different lives than blind people do today. I can speak to that. I'm blind. I've been blind all my life. I'm 55 years old, so I have some, you know, some experience with this, okay? Thank God I don't have to live like Bartimaeus lived, okay? I have access to jobs, to work. I can go out and make a living, okay? I'm co-pastoring a church. I'm earning a living, I've earned a living as a pastor. I've earned a living as a school teacher. I've earned a living in radio years ago. I've, I've been working since I was 19 years old. You know, uh, that's 10, 20, 30, 36 years now, almost 37 years. Thank God for that. But this man, Bartimaeus, didn't have that opportunity. So he's sitting on the side of the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to do what any one of us would do. He began to cry out <laughs> and say, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Be quiet, fellow. Who, who do you think you are? Well, what do you think he did? But he cried the more, a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He sees an opportunity here. He's not going to let it get by. And you know what? You know, the devil may be whispering to you, quit praying, quit praying. God don't hear your prayers. You know what? Pray harder. Uh, I know a man who was praying for someone and the guy called him up. He said, quit praying for me. He said, no, I'm going to turn it up a notch or two. And that's exactly what happened. He prayed more. 
Uh, and Jesus, you know, I love this. And Jesus stood still. Now watch this. All these people are here, and yet he focuses his attention on this one blind man, Bartimaeus. Jesus stood still. Now, he could have said, okay, I'm going to walk over to this guy. But he didn't do that. He stood still. Look what he does. And commanded him to be called. You know who I think brought him? I think the people that were telling him to be quiet. He probably told them, hey, why don't you guys stop telling him to stop calling out to me? In fact, why don't you guys go over there and take him by the arm and walk him over here to me? And they called the blind man, saying, saying unto him, Be of good cheer, uh, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Can you imagine what he was feeling at that moment? And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him. Now notice what Jesus says. He knows this man's blind. I mean, it's obvious he knows he's blind because he had him called, you know, hey guys, bring him over here. He can't see to come over here. Have him, you know, take him by the arm. Walk him over here. And yet Jesus looks at this guy and says, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Did Jesus not know? Of course he knew. He wants to commune with this man. The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. So what's the point of prayer? The point of prayer is for us to commune with the Heavenly Father. He wants to commune with us, I'm convinced. He knows your need. He knows my need. But He wants us to commune with Him. He wants us to fellowship with Him. God wants fellowship with His creation. He wants fellowship with you. But none of this applies if you're not saved. You need to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pastor, how do I do that? Well, a simple tool that we use is not the only way, but it's a simple tool. The ABCs of salvation is very simple. We give the gospel at the end of each podcast. Jesus came. He lived. He died on the cross. He was buried. And three days later, He rose again. Why did He do that? A, admit you're a sinner. See, that's where it starts. If you're not willing to admit you're a sinner, then you don't need a Savior, right? Think about that. But if you're willing to admit you're a sinner, then you acknowledge, oh, okay, and I, well, if I'm a sinner, I must need a Savior. Yes, you do. Are you willing to admit that the Bible is right? There's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Why is that so? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. There is a sentence that God has to put on man the sentence of death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, you must receive it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Admit you're a sinner. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means put your faith in Him and Him alone. Not Him and your works, not Him and this, not Him and that. No, it's faith in Christ and Christ alone. 
He died on the cross. His death was sufficient to pay your sin debt. That's what you're saying when you believe on Jesus. His death, His blood, when He shed His blood, that is sufficient to satisfy the authority authority of God. That is sufficient to satisfy the justice of God. And then call upon Jesus. Right there where you are, you can call upon Jesus. Believing He died on the cross for you, believing in your heart that He rose from the dead, you can be saved right now. You can call on Him. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Some of you are listening for this podcast for the first time. You found us on Spotify. I'm going to try to get it out on Apple. Listen, you're hearing this for the first time. Why don't you call on Jesus to save you right now? And if you have prayed to receive Christ, listen, we want to hear about it. Tell us about it. Put it in the comment section. Hey, I got saved. Listening to the podcast. We'd love to fellowship with you. If you have a Bible question, you're a believer or you know an unbeliever, you have a Bible question, we'd love to hear that too. I do a separate podcast. Well, actually the same podcast. There are times on Fridays I will do question time. I answer Bible questions. I want you to do that, okay? Listen, God loves you. Christ died for you. You can be saved today. Believer, let the Word of God apply these truths to your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, use this podcast for your glory. Help many people to be saved and many saved people to be encouraged uh, uh, to serve the Lord in the time we have left. In Jesus' name, amen.